Hello and welcome to The Stack. On this week's show, I speak with the editor-in-chief of ID Magazine on the title's 40 Years, which are now celebrated in a book. Also, Jeremy Leslie's Mac Culture heads to New York and Spyro, a very cool title dedicated to the fans of American football. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. ID, the original fashion and style bible, celebrated four decades recently. The iconic title was an important celebration of what's cool, and was the first one to celebrate young talent. I remember the first one I spotted as a kid back in Brazil. ID, Wink and Smile, The First 40 Years, is a book celebrating all those decades of incredible shoots, interviews and reports. It was edited by Alistair McKinn, the current editor-in-chief of the magazine. I had the pleasure to welcome him to our studio. Alistair McKinn, welcome to Monaco 24. A pleasure having you here. I know you just arrived from your trip, so thank you for coming to the oh, office. Thank you for having me. What a fantastic book I have in front of me, ID, The First 40 Years. Before we talk about the book, I want to know your relationship with ID. You know, I think you mentioned in the book you, you started collecting it when you were young, right? Yeah, so I'm, I was born in Belfast and grew up there in the 80s and 90s and moved to Nottingham to go to art school in 97. And the day after I graduated, I moved to London. And the day after that, I went and knocked on the door at ID Magazine on Tabernacle Street in East London, which is very old school. It was kind of like we just, I, I remember at that time, I only had an email for like a year or something. So that's how we used to do things, right? We'd go and like knock on the door and introduce ourselves with my portfolio. And I ended up meeting Edward Enenfull, who um, we all know is the, the um, editor-in-chief of British Vogue now. He... Uh, he hired me as his his assistant when I was 20. So, um, yeah, I guess he liked my design or my work or my photography or whatever it was in my portfolio and ended up giving me an opportunity. And I worked with him for a couple of years. And, you know, my, my story with ID is very kind of old school, sort of work your way up the ladder, like apprenticeship, you know. It's like I started, as, as I said, as an assistant to Edward. He's very much a mentor and... And I assisted him on everything that we were working on at that time, like ID, working on fashion shows, consulting. We were working on Italian Vogue, Japanese Vogue, you know, very much that kind of like working freelance career. So I got to really see everything at that time in, you know, my early 20s and the early 2000s. And then when I stopped assisting, I started doing like some pages and like really kind of getting out on my own and just building my portfolio. And I've always just been kind of associated with the magazine even when I was working for different publications I've all like ID's always been part of my story so and I before I was editor-in-chief I was fashion director for five years so yeah it's been uh yeah I like to say I'm last man standing exactly <laughs> well, and you've been editing for three years now yeah and, and I'm curious for example of course this book looks at the whole history do you still look at the first issues I mean and kind of compare to what you do today because yeah. of course so many things have changed in the world but but there's still something of it's the original idea yeah, it's really incredible with id because so many things in the world have changed and the way that we work has changed but the dna and the you know the fabric of like that first issue i have the first issue in my office 
I don't even know how many were made, but it was a 50p stapled together zine that um, Terry and Tricia had had worked on. And I have that issue that I often like refer to. It's it's exactly the same DNA as it is today. You know, it was like so ahead of its time as far as like you know, inclusivity and, you know, having, I think the spirit of ID is really about like the establishment shining a light on the new generation. So there's always like a real mix of generations within the, within the publication that still holds true today. And, um, you know, really all the, all the DNA of the brand up until today is in the first issue. It's incredible, like to be able to, to be able to create a whole brand in one, in one zine is really phenomenal. So, yeah. And such a recognizable brand, because I have to say, even though, for example, I come from Brazil, but even in Brazil, you, he you hear about ID. Yeah. I think it's, you know, even though it is a British publication, right? You yeah. can say that in a yeah. way. <laughs> I, I think it's almost worldwide in a yeah, way, Yeah, it's right? more global now, yeah. yeah. And one thing about the book that I think all the magazine nerds out there would enjoy is all those kind yeah. of little quotes, for example, Terry mentions, you know, about the covers. Every, you need a wink, right? Yeah, exactly. On, the, on your right eye. But then exactly. apparently Madonna <laughs> couldn't do it for some reason and then you decided to flip her over it's such an interesting story yeah. like this that makes the book right exactly and there's some of me like the the interview in the book with terry and trisha is like really it's such a great look at like the history in the early days and then working in their kitchen and trisha making like pasta for all the contributors and like it's really like that's really the spirit of id is this kind of homegrown cottage industry family publication and I mean, even until today, we get cover tries that come in with the wrong eye. And, you know, like also like when I when I started editing the magazine, I was already based in New York and a lot of the young people in New York didn't know about ID. So my first mission really was to open ID up to like the young generation in, in New York City and like then obviously globally. But um you know, I just started like educating the all the skaters and musicians and rappers and stylists and, and models, etc. in New York. And like, you know, my philosophy with ID has always been like, if you want somebody to like the magazine, you just put them in it because we're all part of this like community that work together. And yeah, and a lot of people still today don't understand that the logo is a wink and a smile, you know, so they recognize the covers, they recognize the, you know, the iconography of that and like the wink. But not necessarily understanding that the logo is a wink and a smile in itself. And yeah, and, and I remember hearing a story from Terry about um, when Madonna was on the cover because she wasn't famous yet. It was her first ever cover of a magazine. And, you know, some of the people in London thought it was Boy George because the, <laughs> he was more, much more famous than yeah. Madonna at that time, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, there's so many great stories. I mean, it's such a it's such an incredible archive and an amazing it's just such an amazing brand, but like there's just been so many people involved in it. I think a lot of magazines today, they're like a really small team that create this magazine over time. But ID's always been about this ecosystem of like family and community. And it's really, it's really wide reaching, you know? So like there's so many people, I think once you've worked for ID, you sort of feel like you're part of the family. So the family is very big, you know? And let's talk about the book. I mean, again, another thing I like uh, about the book that sometimes there's the proper page of the magazine. So yeah. it is nice, for example, for me, I, n I never, uh, you know, read ID in the, in the 80s or, or, yeah. or even the 90s. So it's nice to see the feel and how things changed. Exactly. Did you want it to put that? By the way, it's a heavy book. How many pages? My God. <laughs> I don't even it's, know. It's it, not enough pages it, because 40 years of work yes. is, is a lot to put in a book. But um, 
It's just the first first 40 years. Exactly, you know, just the first 40 years. I mean, we you know, we sort of talked about this idea when the anniversary was coming up, the 40th anniversary which which was in 2000. September 2000 was actually sorry, September 2020, should I say? the year of the pandemic starting was actually the 40th anniversary. So that's when we started working on the book. Obviously, books take time and it's taken two years. That's why we ended up, rather than calling it um, the 40th anniversary book, it's the first 40 years. And it also sort of represents the fact that like we're still going and it's just the first 40. There's going to be another 40, you know. But really, when I first started talking to Lucy, who is the managing director of ID. And she's really my partner in all of this. We just discussed how we could make a book and be respectful to the legacy and also to all the thousands of contributors that are involved in making in making the work. And I really wanted to just photograph the magazines as they are in the archive. So it doesn't feel like our hand has been on it at all. It's literally just a picture of a magazine page, you know. And also, I think, like you said, like you feel the texture, mm-hmm. you feel the edges, you feel the dimensions of the magazine, which have changed. You feel the graphic design, the photography, you know, because I certainly didn't want to try and take archive photography and then print it in a book like we would with a magazine today. I wanted it to really feel the decades of the archive and also to have it in chronological order. So initially, me being me and very ambitious, I wanted to do four books. I wanted to do like one book per decade. But it made much more sense for us to combine the work and do four chapters. So like each chapter is exactly the same amount of pages. So because I wanted I didn't want to give any of the decades more pages than another. So it's very diplomatic in that sense. So each decade is the same amount of pages and it's the same format. And we have quotes from talent that were in the magazine at that time. From Shade as well, which is so Shade. difficult to get a quote from Shade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's that's like honestly the power of ID. It's like everybody wants to be involved because it meant so much to it means so either it means so much to us or it meant so much to us at that time in our lives, in our careers or whatever, you know. So we have some amazing quotes in there from really phenomenal people. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. We're talking a lot about history here, but I, I picked up recently a copy of the latest issue, the Out of Body. And, you know, it's still it's very fresh. Of course, you, you have names. There are celebrities and famous people, but I yeah. can see that you still want to look. I mean, what's new? I mean, yeah. I think you said that, that you want, I don't know, someone like Madonna to be first on ID and then she or he will become yeah. famous all over the world. I think that's still very important for the it's brand. It's very right? important. It's very, I mean, I think, yeah, it's very important for us, but also I think it comes from a very kind of, honest place in a way where like we give opportunity to people that maybe haven't had it before mm-hmm. and I think that's how you can be first is if you take a risk you give people opportunity and also I think like ID's always been a breeding ground for talent so it's my job and responsibility to continue that legacy and like give people opportunity that haven't had opportunity anywhere else and like that's really the beauty of the brand is that we can take risks we can be very free we can be very creative and and I love doing that. I love launching people's careers and like seeing them one year in ID and the next year they're in Vogue. And like, you know, you see that trajectory of, of talent, whether it's like models or photographers or stylists and hair and makeup artists, casting directors. Like there's so many people involved in this kind of um, ecosystem, right? Do you have, I mean, that's a difficult question, but a favorite cover that, you know, maybe you you don't need to have worked on it actually, but an iconic one that you always remember. I really love the covers that are actually not photographs but graphics. So I, there's a cover um, that I love that just says "Get up, get happy," and it's a smiley face winking. I really love that cover. 
And of course, I love cover from issue one, which is just the logo, which to me is the reason that why on the hardcover of the book that we just did the logo, because initially, obviously, the conversation, the conversation for the book cover was to do a photo, you know, so it was just impossible to choose a picture. So we just did the logo in fluoro pink, which is very synonymous to ID on the on the yellow base, which again harks back to the the yellow happy face. That's my favorite cover. That's, so it all comes full circle. Right? That's a nice one. I think I remember my first cover that I remember seeing back in Brazil was one of Giselle winking, mm. and it was pink. And yeah, I, I don't know what was written actually on the cover, but that was <laughs> for some that reason cover. that's the one I remember. <laughs> I know that cover. They're really seared in our memory, right? Yeah, and your editing ID now it it looks to me like it's doing you know better than ever. It looks quite large. I mean, do you, <laughs> yeah. do you think that, that that's a trend these days? I think when people I think fashion magazines are becoming even bigger, better. I, I, yeah. I don't know how to explain that. What, what, what do, you, do you think that's a trend yeah, so that again, we're seeing these Yeah, days? so again, when Lucy and I sat down to talk about what our vision for ID was going to be when I became editor-in-chief, it was I really wanted to create a product, you know? I really wanted to create a product that we could go to market with. Mm. We could get more advertisers excited about the brand. We could make more money to put back into the creative work that we're doing, you know, and like really sort of build the brand. So that's why, and also I'm a very excessive person, you know, I'm a maximalist. I like that. I'm a maximalist in my kind of ambition, but like a minimalist in my styling, I think. So it's certainly the first issue that I did was like 500 pages because obviously at that point I was like not necessarily um, an experienced editor and I didn't really know that we were working to a page count. So I just made the work that I wanted to make and we published it. It was very straightforward. And then, of course, we had to start looking at like what each issue should be. You know, the for us, also the reason the issues are bigger than they would have been when there was 12 issues a year is there's only four issues a year. So you have a lot more work and a lot more contributors to um, to showcase in the four issues. And also we do like a bigger issue for September, which is our fall issue, and then uh, February, which is our spring issue. Those are the biggest issues of the year. It's almost like this biannual concept of seasonality. But then we do summer in June, and then in November we do winter. And... You know, every issue for us is its own brand, you know. So like the last issue that we published, the out-of-body issue, it's really kind of like creating this whole world within the ID umbrella, um, which is really for us, we wanted to look at body and body positivity and just, you know, this idea of kind of like coming out of the pandemic and this idea of like what it is to be human in in our own skin, really. So that's how that whole issue happened. The issue before that, we had um, Arthur Jaffa, who's a phenomenal artist, guest edit the issue. The issue before that last September, we did the in real life issue because it was the first time we'd been able to actually make work in real life. Uh, Before that, we were like really in the thick of the pandemic and making work um, remotely. So there's always like a rhyme or reason for what we're doing. And um, the issues get big because we have a lot of talented people that we work with that we want to commission. (laughs) So keep them big, keep them big. Yeah. (laughs) Alistair, thank you so much for coming here to Monaco 24. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Alistair. And ID Wink and Smile, the first 40 years, is out now. And so is the latest issue of ID Magazine. Also this week, I've paid a visit to Mac Culture in London's St. John Street to speak with Jeremy Leslie, who actually played a role in the ID book celebrating their 40 years. 
For the book, Jeremy interviewed the founders of ID, Terry Jones and Tricia Jones. He spoke to me about this and also the fact that Mac Culture Lives will return to New York in May. Well, I remember ID from the very early days because my first job in magazines was a Blitz magazine and that was Blitz, Face and ID with the three original star magazines. So we were always, always very competitive. So I remember you know, looking very closely at ID right from its very start. Uh, and then my involvement today is um, simply for our the Mag Culture podcast, I think it was last uh, a year ago, January, I interviewed Terry Jones and Trisha Jones, the founders of ID, because it was coming up the 40th anniversary and they were very gracious with their time and gave me a lengthy interview. And that's turned out to be the introduction to the book. I think partly, I mean, I, you know, I was very, I was pleased with the story I got from the interview, but I think also there was a kind of practical level of... Uh, it, it probably suited Terry not to be interviewed again. And so they, they, they came to me and asked, asked to run the, uh, the transcript of the podcast. So that is the introduction to the book. It's perfect, right at the beginning of the book. But Jeremy, let's turn our attention to Mac Culture. And I think this is quite special to you because I know how much you love New York. So Mac Culture is back to New York. We're, tell us, tell us all. This is well, very we exciting. Back, we're, we're back in real life. I mean, we've, you know, we do these two conferences, as listeners will know, one in London, one in New York. And inevitably for the last two years, they, they've kind of been online. We did do London in real life back in November. And we always had it in mind to return to New York this May with a live show and um, with a live conference. And we're back, we're, we're doing it. We've got a new venue, the Ace Hotel Brooklyn, uh, and we've got um, a range of speakers, typically for us from the very big magazines to the very sort of small indie magazines. And the theme this time is collaboration. And we're particularly excited to have two two teams from two big magazines that I think are doing really interesting stuff. We've, we've always followed the um, progress of, and, and the work at the New York Times magazine. Uh, but this time we've got both the design director, Gail Bishler, and the editor, Jake Silverstein, who will be talking about their working relationship and how they work together on that weekly magazine. And then at the, un- at the other end of the day, we'll have um, Richard Turley and Mel Ottenberg, who are the pair that have reinvented Interview magazine very successfully, talking about their collaboration. And then in between that, we've got a whole range of um, people from smaller magazines. Well, I say smaller magazines. I mean, the, the new editor of the Paris Review. I mean, the Paris Review is not a small magazine. It's been around for a long time. But um, I'm very interested to see what she's got to say about her relaunch and working with Matt Willey on that redesign. But then also on the indie side, we've got um, the team from Balcony, Banana, Gossamer, Mother Tongue. Very interested to hear about that uh, live. Uh, and then we've also got one of the team from Casa Magazines, what, you know, the, the Greenwich Village uh, magazine shop, which you visited recently. Yes, and, and it's interesting, Jeremy, one thing from my visit of New York, that there's still so many editors, there's still so much happening in mm-hmm. the city as well. I know people love to say, oh, everybody's escaping New York. I personally think it's a lie. They said the same thing about London. I think it's a very important media yeah. and, and special city for magazines still, right? It is. It is. I mean, I, the reason we always... Um, want to get speakers over from there over to here and we want to go over there to, to arrange things. I mean, you know, London and New York have always had this kind of symbiotic relationship. They are the two big cities of the English publishing world. They remain so. Of course, there's a lot, lot of other stuff going beyond those two cities, but they're the two kind of like uh, lightning conductors. And tell us if someone wants to buy a ticket, mm-hmm. of course, especially if you are in New York. Or you can travel from London anyway. Well, you, yeah, if, if, <laughs> travel's open now. So, yeah, yeah. Um, no, you, you can get tickets online. I mean, there's two things going. We've got a pop-up shop for the week leading up to it. So 
that opens on Tuesday the 17th of May and is open all that week and then on Sunday the 22nd is the event and tickets are on sale now and uh, yeah come Thank you very much, Jeremy. Check out macculture.com for more details. The event will be held in New York on the 22nd of May. And finally on the show, great to catch up again with Sean Gassimitari, editor-in-chief of Spiral magazine, a stunning title about American football and culture. The second issue looks at the future of the sport, from the rise of NFL to how data is redefining the way we consume the game. It's all in there. Here is Sean with more. Honestly, the reception has been really great. I speak on behalf of the team. My partners, Tanner and Nick, who do the design on the magazine, and um, Ariel, who does a great job on you know production, project management. But it's just been great to see the magazine in so many different shops that I had admired from a distance and in person, you know. And just to, for us, really, it's just about cultivating the community, uh, showcasing that you know there are many creatives like ourselves that really love the sport and. There are a lot of conversations to be had for American society at large that kind of manifest through the game of football. So just to see um, such a great support around just two first issues with such a small team is, is just a really cool feeling. And I have issued you in front of me and it says future. What do you mean with that? Because it's, it's, it's quite interesting actually reading the magazine because I also learned a lot about the history, as you were saying, how... American football influenced American society in general as well. And I think that's super interesting to know. So every issue will be centered around a theme. And this theme actually kind of, it kind of started out more on the lines of technology. I had like this idea of technology always in my head and how technology, quote unquote, is always kind of about, you know, advancing towards the future. And in order to go forward, you, you must kind of learn the mistakes of the past to go forward. And so with the future being so uncertain with so many different categories revolving around like, you know, the pandemic to sports, the team and I kind of ruminated on what, what could the future of football be? I mean, this sport is already in jeopardy with the health concerns surrounding CTE and families not wanting their kids to play at such a young age. So the sport itself is in jeopardy for the future, but it still is so beloved in America that I can't see it quite going away anytime soon. But with everything being so uncertain with the pandemic, we want to kind of ruminate on what could the future of football be. And I have to say, you mentioned how the sport is so important to the United States, but I also feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, is one of the fastest growing sports internationally as well. There's a growing interest even my country brazil was mentioned uh, in right. a new issue do you feel that with the people that are buying spiral i'm sure perhaps you ask maybe the main market but you get people from other countries saying you know what i'm super interested in american football as well yeah it's uh it's really great to see just the popularity like i think brazil is the third country right now in the world that supports the game and germany has long had a big following as did england and I'm, the league knows, and it's the league, the NFL has known for quite some time that in order to truly expand, for lack of a better word, for the future, they need to grow an international audience. And so I think they're doing that now with this inclusion of, the, of an extra week for the regular season, the week 18, but more needs to be done. And I take a lot of cues from, from football, football culture, and seeing how ingrained football is within just 
different aspects of you know European and South American culture, from the music to the fashion, and I think that uh, American football should follow in those steps. And so, with the, to answer your question though, um, there have been so many international you know fans who have reached out from Austria to Sweden, around the world, who are asking where they can find a copy. Um, I actually just visited a, a shop here in Paris called Kehir Central that. They, they had sold out on their initial run and they just placed another order. And so for me to hear that, it's just, you know, incredible to see that people are both interested in the magazine and just the sport in general. So I think, uh, I think the game is in good hands. Well, you made me more interested in the game of your magazine because I have to say it's a bit daunting if you're not a, an expert because what I see with American football, there's so many numbers in the screen. I, I do get a little bit... For example, one of the stories I like, I mean, it's more of an illustration-based one. I love this one, the loyalty to none. It's, it's such a beautiful badge. I think you bring such a beautiful artistic side uh, to the sport as well. Is that your intention? And, and what are those, by the way? Those are... Yeah, so those are... Um, so are you familiar with, like, fantasy, like, football? There's a fantasy soccer as well where, you know, you pick different players on different teams and the way they perform, you get, like, points. And so... For American football, I mean, fantasy football is such a big aspect of the game and it's tied to gambling that, for example, like say I'll be watching my fantasy team and um, my dad, just a passionate fan of like say the 49ers, he'll be like, why are you rooting for players on the other team? Not kind of getting it. And so this uh, illustrated series, my partner Nick and Tanner, they took the logos of different NFL teams and mashed them up together showcasing like these are these are the way that you know more younger fans are rooting for the game they're not really affiliated traditionally to like one team say that our parents uh, were back in the day they they have an uh, affiliation to many different players on many different teams and those teams are changing every year basically I was going to ask you do you feel you know, American football is becoming more and more political in the, in the U.S. How, how is that relationship of kind of sport and politics these days? Is it, is it different than it was? Do you think it's becoming a bit more kind of politically? Or? I think it's definitely changed in, in, in a good way where people are being more, they are being more expressive of how they feel from, you know, the Colin Kaepernick to the Malcolm Jenkins to, Many different players. Uh, Brian Flores is uh, the coach, the former coach of the Dolphins, who came out to voice many different things. However, I do think that the league still is very much behind in making real, real progress. For example, Colin Kaepernick himself, he's he still hasn't played since he's been taking those taking a knee. I think there's reports right now saying that he might be linked to going to Seattle, but I think there's much that needs to be done. But uh, steps are being made, but hopefully, hopefully real, real change takes place. Oh, I hope so as well. And, and I want more magazines in Spyro. I think that's such a great idea and something that I don't see it very often as well. I mean, I, yeah. I remember we spoke about it in our first interview, but, but tell us again, where, where did the idea of the Spyro comes along? Because I, I do think it's an excellent, I kind of miss the Spyro. I think in, in the past, we used to have more of those. Right. We were just, uh, so my partners and I were just bouncing off ideas of like different word associations on, you know, what could this magazine be that, you know, speaks on football, but isn't so nail on the head. And so spiral was such an interesting concept because 
it hits on three different things. It hits on, you know, the forward motion of a football as the quarterback throws it to also, you know, the spiral binding of, of the actual magazine and the spiral binding of the old coaches' playbooks from, you know, the 50s all the way to the 70s. So the way you look at the magazine format, it seems almost like an information guide, like a coach's playbook would be. So we thought it was just like the perfect trifecta of, of, of a name. Thank you very much, Sean. And the second edition of Spiral is out now. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks as ever to our editor, Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to email me at fbandmonaco.com. And we're back next Saturday at the same time. Meanwhile, you can subscribe to the show at monaco.com, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. It's Mozart with Symphony Number no. 40 in G minor, K550. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. <laughs>